So you're reading through the newspaper on a Sunday morning and you come across this news article that says another football player has been diagnosed with CTE or chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And you're reading the news article about the symptoms that the football player is experiencing and how devastating it is to his family. But then you ask yourself, what exactly is chronic traumatic encephalopathy? Because this article did not do a good job at explaining it. Well, let's talk about the science behind that. Welcome to the science behind that with Atticus Hamilton. Hello all you scientists and welcome on back to the science behind that podcast. I'm your host Atticus Hamilton and as you heard from the intro, today we're going to be talking about chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE. Um, I'm going to go on, go out on a, a limb here and say that this is probably going to be a pretty short episode um, because I'm going to try my best to keep it... Uh, concise and and short and sweet. But before we get into that, I'd like to invite all of you to go grab a nice steaming hot cup of coffee, add a little bit of maple syrup to it, not too much, just enough to bring out those autumn flavors. Uh, I've got my Cafe Breve right here, which I didn't know until recently it was called that. It's like espresso and then steamed half and half, and I guess that's apparently a Cafe Breve. Um, But anyway, got that. I hope you have yours, and uh, we're going to jump right in. Sorry about that. I had to take a sip of my coffee right there. But, um, so what is CTE? Well, CTE stands for Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy, and it's actually a pretty interesting but difficult to diagnose disease. Um, And... So basically, in a nutshell, what CTE is, is it's basically a mass death of neurons that result from repeated damage um, to the brain. And in a little bit, we'll get into, you know, what type of damage that could be. Um, And that will sort of come where when we talk about where CTE was first described, where it first came from. Um, But... It's interesting because as of right now, there are no specific symptoms that are linked uh, with CTE. That being said, um, CTE has been shown um, in certain people to have sort of abnormal cognitive and behavioral changes. Now, this is where it becomes kind of confusing, right? Because to me... It's like, well, if this person had these changes in cognitive function, then can't you say that that's a symptom of CTE when everybody with CTE is expressing these symptoms? So I'm not really sure why um, it's listed as there's no specific symptoms that are clearly linked to CEE or CTE, but it could be because the actual pathology behind uh, CTE is very poorly understood. We're going to get into that later on in the episode two about what a potential new research paper says may be the underlying pathology of CTE. And um, really quick as well, uh, 
I just want to say that this episode idea came to me as a suggestion from one of you viewers. Uh, so thank you very much for that. Um, I'll always uh, do episodes on suggestions if I think that they're you know good and that the uh, the community would like to hear them. So thank you for that. Um, and you know, in addition to that, the channel is still growing, which is great. Um, so that being said, if you guys in the future have any comments or suggestions or ideas for episodes, definitely let me know. You can shoot me an email at thesciencebt at gmail.com and let me know what's on your mind. So speaking of things on the mind, cognitive impairment does seem to be very much related to CTE. So a lot of patients who had it in, in their life it expressed trouble thinking, memory loss, problems with planning, organization, carrying out tasks, along with that, some other symptoms that have been associated with uh, CTE include impulsive behavior, aggression, mood disorders like depression, emotional instability, substance misuse, suicidal thoughts, and then motor symptoms, so problems with walking and balance, Parkinson's, um, and motor neuronal disease, that and that can result in um, impaired walking or or difficulty with controlling walking, and of course, um, impairing speaking, swallowing, and breathing. So there's a lot of different um, symptoms that are related to CTE, and I think part of that too is that um, physicians believe that um, CTE has two different forms of symptomatic expression. Early life, around the 20s, late 20s, early 30s, and that's where they see a lot more of the mental health side of things, like the depression, the emotional instability, substance misuse, and then um, a later form of CTE, which is later in life, around age 60. And then these are more of the memory, thinking issues, the aggression, that sort of stuff. And in a lot of these uh, situations, these patients come in in their 60s explaining to their physician, hey, I think I'm having these symptoms. And their physician will say, oh, it's probably dementia. And, you know, just a little PSA for all of you young physicians out there, that is why patient case history is so important because unfortunately as of right now, there are no currently approved diagnostic tools for CTE during life. Now after the patient dies, we can perform an autopsy and look at their brain under a microscope and then we see the, um, the CTE, but during life as of right now, there's no um, approved diagnostic tools. Now, for those listeners out there that live in other countries, I'd love to hear if you know of a diagnostic measure in your country. Um, but as of right now in America, there are no approved diagnostic tools for CTE. Um, and so a lot of times these patients are misdiagnosed as having dementia, um, but in reality, they don't. They have CTE. Now, in, you know, ultimately, is there anything that can really treat it? Not really. Um, now, the best option for 
CTE is to prevent it in the first place. Um, and prevent concussions and, and that sort of stuff to the brain. Um, and we'll get into why that is, but um, that is the, the go-to, is the prevention aspect. So at the end of the day as well, the question becomes, if there's literally no treatment that can be done, is it even worth getting diagnosed? And I guess at the end of the day, that's up to you and, and the family, you know. But, so now that we have a basic understanding of what CTE is, let's just briefly talk about where it came from, when it was first described. So, CTE, despite what the movie Concussion would have you believe, it was first described in 1928. And look, I'm not bashing Concussion, I actually kind of like that movie, but it was not discovered by Dr. Bennett Amalu, it was actually discovered by a physician by the name of Dr. Harris Martland. Now, when he described this disease in 1928, he did not call it CTE. It was called punch drunk syndrome. Um, But it it actually ended up being the exact same phenomenon. So boxers, we see a lot of boxers getting um, CTE, just like football players. But, um, so it was first described in 1928 by Dr. Harrison Martland, and he was actually a pretty well-known pathologist, and along with CTE, he made a lot of brilliant, um, discoveries in the, in the area of nuclear medicine, one of them being he was the first person to demonstrate that radium causes cancer, specifically in the facilities that manufacture clocks with glow-in-the-dark handles or faces, people would have to lick the brush that was covered in radium paint to keep it, the the tip of the brush, sharp. And um, Dr. Harrison Stanford Martland was the first physician to really say, look, this is causing cancer in, in these patients, and radium is causing cancer. Um... But anyway, I kind of like him. He's he's definitely one of my, you know, uh, physicians that I look up to as a prospective physician, you know. Um, but anyway, so after that, in over the next 75 years, there were a lot of other researchers that uh, identified similar findings with pu- punch-drunk sick in boxers, but then in 2005, that's where we have Dr. Bennett Omalu, where he published the first evidence of chronic traumatic encephalopathy in football players, and that that moment right there as well was really when CTE got the name CTE, so it was no longer being called punch drunk sickness, it was be, uh, being called chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And lo and behold, you know, because of that, his work there and and working with other people like Dr. Chris Nowinski, um, there was a lot of, um, I guess, reforming of the American football industry, which was good, but at the end of the day, there's, you know, there's still a lot of areas that we can improve, mainly being in how do we treat Uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. So, um, ultimately, what happens here? Well, and why is it from head injuries? Well, ultimately, what happens is 
with head injuries, the brain sort of moves around a little bit in the skull. Now, not a lot, but it does move around a little bit. And so, between the brain and the skull, uh, technically between the brain and the um, dura matter, the PM matter, and the arachnoid matter of the skull, but that's for another day, uh, you have the blood-brain barrier. Now, this blood-brain barrier is not very thick. It's pretty thin, so when you have a, a large contact force on the head, just from inertia, the brain is going to continue moving forward in the skull and hit the, the skull, hit the inside of the skull. And up until recently, there was very little information on as to why does that actually cause CTE? Because what physicians and researchers saw was after a long term or a long time, you know, exposure to these concussions, um, what happened is the neurons started to die. And so up until recently, there was very little information as to why that's actually happening. However, in 2019, a paper was published in the Journal of Metabolism and um, where researchers discovered that um, during these instances of um, trauma, uh, of brain trauma, what happens is it almost induces neurons within the brain to produce a compound called cis-p-tau. And cis-p-tau is extremely um, toxic. It's a protein, but it's an isomer of a, a necessary protein called trans-p-tau. And so cis-p-tau is produced, and this is the toxic isomer, and what happens is their research has shown that in mouse models of CTE, high levels of cis-p-tau produces a CTE-like syndrome via a, 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 a process called cytosis, cis Cystauiosis. Um, and also in animals, they discovered that this process can be blocked um, by using a uh, anti-cis-p-tau uh, anti monoclonal antibody, which inhibits later development of tau tangles. So basically what happens is these rogue tau proteins, much like uh, any other prion disease, they aggregate in these clusters in the brain and that basically suffocates the neurons that are there. So I believe in the movie Concussion, there was a point in the movie where um, Dr. Bennett Omalu says like, after you know hitting the brain against the skull many times, it's like filling your brain with cement. And while that is a very dramatic and um, analogy, according to this paper, it appears that he might not be inaccurate, and that the rogue cis p tau protein is actually aggregating, creating large mats basically of this rogue protein, which is suffocating the neurons and causing neuronal die-off. And this seems to be as a result of concussions stimulating the cis-p-tau protein production from neuronal cells. 
So um, this same group continued on in um, following studies, and they found that human samples um, of patients who had CTE did have um, high levels of cis-p-tau, and that it was um, discovered both in spinal fluid and in the brain. And so their conclusion was that... um, Cis-P-Tau appears to be the contributor for the short and long-term symptoms of CTE. And they also continue to say that they may potentially be able to neutralize the effect of it by using a Cis-P-Tau anti-monoclonal antibody, which... Does which this paper does two things. Number one is it opens the floodgates for more research in this area. But it also proposes not just a mechanism of action for how this works. You know, how, how do you go from a healthy athlete to what we see in um, CTE patients after years of head trauma? How, what is going on in the middle? And it appears like they have proposed anyway a, in my mind, a convincing argument for a potential internal pathology, but they have also suggested that if this is the case, there could be a treatment for patients who are suffering with CTE, um, which if you've ever seen, you know, what the, the families of these patients go through and what the patients go through a treatment is exactly, I think, what everybody is, would be wishing for. And um, if it turns out that this cis-p-tau protein um, phenomenon is the actual underlying pathology in human cases of CTE, then I think that the promising results of their uh, of the other part of their study showing that an anti-cis-p-tau monoclonal antibody is effective in in um, reversing the disease, that could be a very interesting area of scientific development. And if it turns out to be accurate, who knows? We may have a treatment for CTE within the next 10, 15 years. And so then, ladies and gentlemen, really quick, before we end today's episode... What did we discuss? Well, we discussed the history of CTE and that it was first discovered or at least um, cataloged in 1928 by Dr. Harrison Martland and its presence in boxers. And at that time, it was called punch drunk symptom, punch drunk syndrome. I don't know why that is so hard for me to say. We also discuss what CTE is, and it stands for chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and um, it's basically when mass neurons die in the brain. And we also discussed, you know, what does it look like in patients? How is it diagnosed, and are there any treatments? And we finished today's episode off with the underlying pathology that may be going on behind uh, the scenes in the brain of patients with CTE being rogue cis uh, p-tau proteins forming aggregates in the brain, which is actually suffocating the neurons and slowly killing them. 
And we finish by talking about how, if that is the case, there may be a treatment around the corner through the use of a monoclonal anti-cis-p-tau antibody. Nevertheless, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the science behind that. I had a lot of fun making it. It is a Monday. I know Mondays are are sad. I don't really like Mondays, but uh, you know what? It's not that long till Friday, so I will see you guys on Friday. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, stand up and question everything.